Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. There's been a lot going on, a very sad week for our country. And it is important that we hear the voices of people who are speaking. And as I saw not only the actions, but the pain of the protesters and and the people who were speaking out, I decided I have not looked into this enough. And so I, I went online, I talked to a friend as well, but... Um, made it a point to listen to people with whom I would normally say I disagree. It'd be some some, uh, black brothers who would call themselves black reformed uh, Christians, and so we would have some similar heritage in our theological convictions and roots. There was a church in Minneapolis, a sermon sermon recommended by uh, a friend of mine who was there, and so on, things like that. I looked at and have been looking at the flurry of words that has been both spoken and written, and it is confusing and it is dizzying. I think one place that perhaps we have gone wrong is that we, we don't have a safe space to talk about these things. And one of the things that I find distressing is either people bend over backwards with apologies and hedging this or that, or spend half of their time doing that, or they just say, you know, Facts don't care about your feelings and just put it out there what they want to say. Uh, I'm just going to say this at the beginning of the sermon. You can't say everything. Uh, I am trying, as I preach, to cover something that's very clearly covered by Scripture because I'm learning there's areas that I just am not qualified to speak on at this moment. And also, something I may say may offend you or may hurt you, and I would love to hear from you, no matter who you are. Let's talk. Let's go to God's word. Let's pray. Well, as I have been going out this week, there has been plenty of talking and shouting and debating about the nature of the riots, the nature of the response of our president and our leaders, um, the character of the police force. And underneath that are even deeper questions. How deep is racism? Does the rabbit hole go much further than we think? Are all white people responsible? What role does the church play in this? Does it have any responsibility to bear now in the present as well as the past? And then there's the the talk about what should be our nation's goal with regard to racism at this crisis point in time. Should we be seeking a justice, blanket apologies, retribution, restitution rather? And it goes on and on. And one of the things that I found confusing is where... uh, People take different stances on where the problem really lies. Be very careful not to stereotype. I'm not trying to paint with the broad brush here. But you will often hear those who are more on the culturally progressive ideological side say that the problem is racism. In fact, it's, some would say it's systemic. Right? Systemic racism, white privilege, white supremacy has been baked into our system since day one. And even though we've gotten better on the surface... We still have a system of often invisible oppression where black America is ignored, marginalized, persecuted, and even killed. Uh, The sermon 
that I heard from the church in Minneapolis was very much in that camp, making that assertion. And then people who may be more ideologically conservative would say, well, there, there are some real problems in the past, and racism is still a problem today, certainly in individual circumstances. A George Floyd may be very well being one of them. But, but that's no longer the biggest problem. The, the biggest problem, the real problem, is that the black family has been decimated. The welfare state has given birth to kids without daddies, no role models. That's why we see such high crime rates. That's, that's why we see the black-on-black violence and, and which is at least part of the police shootings. And as I, I, I dug into the different voices this week to compound the confusing, you have black Americans who are on both sides of the spectrum, more towards the cultural progressive side in, in majority, but there's plenty of black voices on the other side too. And, and then you have churches that take different positions on race and say, if you don't accept our definition of racism and its solution, then we think you're racist and you're actually hurting the spread of the gospel. So, meanwhile, there are riots in the streets. What are Christians to do? What are Christians to do? Well, it should be obvious that there's no way to address even a thin slice of the questions that I've raised today. But by going on and on, I hope what you can see is that you need to be careful before you just wade in and make pronouncements, especially when people are hurting. And so the point of the sermon is much simpler today. Pastor Dick talked about it, where we're going to zero in on the starting point. And here it is. See the pain and listen humbly. See the pain and listen humbly. I have spent, because I'm a pastor and have more time, I have spent... Uh, multiple hours listening to uh, people, mostly black brothers and sisters, uh, on maybe who would think normally differently than I, and trying to listen and understand. Now, maybe later on we'll talk about some of the undergirding things, but I was very blessed, I was benefited to do that. And what we're going to see here today is an example about how we can do that as well. Let's go to Matthew 15, verses 21 through 18. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he said, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is God's word. Well, you can find in this story both a critique of Jesus' disciples and a way forward. It's a delightful story. It's extremely surprising and complex. 
It's complex because there's really only a few series of interchanges. And man, it would be helpful if you could see the looks on their face. Tone and body language in this passage would make it so much easier to understand. And I can't go into all that complexity today. But it's also surprising because Jesus ignores this woman. Surprising that she came as a Jew, a Gentile woman to a rabbi. That wasn't done. But then Jesus ignores her, very unlike him. It's even more intriguing because Matthew adds a conversation between Jesus and the disciples that Mark leaves out when he tells the story. Well, let's start with the woman as she approaches. As a mother, she's desperate, and she comes and pleads for her daughter with all the power that a mother can gather. And here Jesus carries out this great mystery. He is not predictable, and he ignores her. And this is very odd because if you know who Jesus is, as Paul Miller has taught, studying the life of Jesus, Jesus sees people, he, he understands their position, their predicament, he has compassion on them, and then he acts. And it's not just that she's a, a Gentile, and, and this is a Jew-Gentile situation. No, Jesus has healed many other and cared for many other people who were Gentiles. The, the Gentile centurion servant, he's healed a leper who was a Samaritan. In fact, in the next passage, he will heal many people. And in the next passage, he'll feed 4,000 people. You have to assume that because he's in a Gentile area, most of those are Gentiles. So it's, it's not an ethnic issue. So why did Jesus ignore her? Well, we don't know for certain. Several commentators say it's because Jesus is testing this woman to show just how special her faith is. He knew that her faith was great enough to break through the, the devil's advocate obstacles that he put up and allowed it to shine in an even greater way. I think that's a good interpretation. We'll talk about her a little bit more at the end. But you see, Matthew adds something that I want to spend most of our time on that Mark admits. Jesus' disciples. Now, you think about the story. The Gentile mother comes to Jesus pleading, weeping for her daughter. If you're a parent, you can put yourself in her place. Right? She is afraid. She's hurting for her daughter. Her life is bound up with her daughter. At one point, she cries out, save me. She's asking for help for her daughter, but save me. That's where she's at. And Jesus is unusually silent. And then there is an awkward silence punctuated by her mother's tears. Eventually the disciples break the silence. And what do they say? Send her away. Now some people think that they are asking Jesus to heal her daughter just to get them out of, her out of their hair. I think it's more likely that they're saying, just send her away, get her out of here. They use the same words, send them away, when Jesus asked them what to do in the feeding of the 5,000, the chapter before. And, and Matthew identifies this woman explicitly not as the Greek woman in Mark, the Syrophoenician, which is accurate, but he puts a different cast to it, that she is the Canaanite woman. Right? These, the Canaanite people were, were the sworn enemies of Israel, that, that Joshua was supposed to dispossess and even kill who were in the land to cleanse the land. There was bad blood between them. The disciples say, get her out of here. 
Jesus responds in an odd way. He simply ignores that request. He doesn't even dignify it with the response. But he doesn't really seem to advance the conversation. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, he's probably making a point to the woman that right now his primary mission is to God's special people, Israel. But does he have to do that? Is that really necessary? And think about it, he doesn't do that anywhere else. Gentiles come to him, he doesn't say, well, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Here's a thought. Maybe in addition to playing devil's advocate, he is giving voice to his disciples' hearts. That Canaanite woman, she doesn't have a place here. God's mercy is for Israel. Some ways, theologically correct in the Old Testament. Unless you were drawn to the people, you were outside of the covenant. So when Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, the disciples probably internally said, Amen. But what does the woman hear? Or what doesn't she hear? She doesn't hear no. Jesus doesn't close the door on her. And so she presses forward and cries out even louder, Lord, help me. Literally, she says, Lord, save me. At this point, what do the disciples say? Again, nothing. It's funny, though, because just one chapter before, in Matthew 14, Peter was walking on the water. And as he looks to the wind more than Jesus, he starts to sink and he fears for his life. And what does he say there? He says, Lord, save me. What do you think the disciples did when Peter fell? <laughs> well, I'm sure when he walked out in the water, they were, they were encouraging him and whooping and yelling and spurring him on because that's what guys do when others do foolish and dangerous things. Though this isn't necessarily foolish because he was with Jesus. But when Peter was drowning, do you think they stopped their whooping and just sat silently by and said, Lord, send him away. He won't stop crying. Now they joined with Peter in pleading, Lord, help him. Help him. Save him. I believe Matthew puts this description of the disciples in here to show that Jesus' followers, we can still be blind and heartless. When they saw this woman, they saw someone who was different from them. They assumed someone who didn't deserve the same grace that they did. And so they refused to notice her pain or care about her. Instead, they ignored her and did everything they could to keep her out of their lives. Now, this is a very raw subject, and I realize this is the second sermon on this subject today. Talking about race relationships. What I want to say is that the application of the disciples is not that black Christians represent the woman and white Christians represent the disciples. But what it does say is that we can all learn from both the disciples and the woman's actions. And for the disciples, you can see how your dislike for a person or people can blind you to their pain. If they are not part of your tribe, if they're not part of your group or say the things that you say or agree with the things that you agree, then you may just write them off. Instead of being like Jesus who sees people and has compassion for them, meets them, his followers label and distance themselves from this woman. That applies no matter where we are in life, not just in our sad time right now. 
Although, I will say, although this story, I find it sad here, there is also hope because Jesus, in his mercy, takes these tone-deaf guys to be his tribe, his posse. And he will mold and transform them into instruments of change throughout the world. There is hope here. But the application for us today is we see what not to do, how to not follow the disciples, is see the pain in other people and listen. There are people who are in pain today. They're especially black Americans who are grieving a gruesome death. I listened to a podcast by um, guys called Pass the Mics. They would, they would label themselves as reformed black Christians. And one of the podcasts, it was actually from last year, was simply labeled Stop Killing Us. And they just talked about what it was like to have a, a young woman Atiana Jefferson, a pre-med grad student, graduated, was, was watching her nephew in her, aunt, in, in her sister's house. It was late at night. It's actually early morning, I believe. The, the, the front door was open and a neighbor, in a, a chance, uh, trying to do a good deed, called the police just to do a, a safety call. And a police officer went through the back and without announcing himself, there was a lot of protocols. Every police officer would say, yeah, he did the wrong thing there. She saw an intruder, she drew, drew a weapon, he shot her and killed her. Right in front of her eight-year-old nephew. Right? I, you, can, you can hear the, the, the pain in their voice as, as they are coming to grips with, this is what's happened to someone of our skin color. He, one of them said, very tragically, the skin, I feel like the skin that God has given me is a danger to me. People are in pain. We need to hear. We need to seek to understand that hurt. I was talking with one of um, our black brothers this week, and we had a good talk. We were talk, We talked for over an hour just about life and about, about the situation and having a great time. And at one point he said, you didn't grow up around black folk, did you? And I said, no, not really. And he said, I could tell. I could tell it. He didn't tell me how, but I could probably figure that out. It really wasn't until the army that I really got to know um, black people. And what that means is that I don't know much about that community at all. And I remember reading a book, starting to read a book called Not Tragically Colored. It was recommended to me by the Mortification of Spin podcast, if you're familiar with that. There's an author, Ishmael Hernandez. He, he comes from Puerto Rico in the 50s, 60s, when his dad was a communist activist, wanted Puerto Rico to go the way of Cuba, to become a communist state. And Ishmael talks about how growing up in that mindset, and, and he was darker in skin, and he talked about the effect that his skin had on him. I, I don't know if this is at any way the way it is in Puerto Rico now, or if there's still pockets, or if it's changed. But back at that time, he said, it was common for parents to actively, openly prefer the child with lighter skin. And if you were to marry a spouse who was darker than you, people would consider that you were marrying down. I read those words and it stopped me in my tracks because I, I realized just how little I understood about being a black person. I thought, what? I, I don't know if there's a time in my life when I have thought about the color of my skin, except when it's cherry red after it's blistered by the sun. Right? It's, 
I just don't know. I need to understand. I need to hear the pain in what people are saying. And we must not dismiss people and send them away because they're different from us. You become like Jesus as you care for people by understanding them. Now, I think I can hear some objections, and some of them are because I have some of them in my head. But one of them is that you're using black-white distinctions. We're talking too much about black and white. People are people. We, we get too caught up with labels. Uh, this is divisive. It creates a guilt and victimhood. And if you're read up on social ideas, you might even think, is there a, a hint of social justice or critical theory creeping into your thoughts? Um, Lord willing, we will, not next week, but down the line actually delve into some of the underlying thoughts that are driving some of the assertions today. But I need to do a lot more listening and praying, and now is not the time. If we're talking about, does, does talking about white and black like this create divisions? Let me respond to that from Scripture. On the one hand, yes, we are absolutely the same. We, we are made in the image of God, and Paul can say that there is no distinction in our salvation. Colossians 3.28 says, There is no male nor female, no Jew nor Greek, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. We are all totally equal. We are all people made in God's image, in Christ, saved and redeemed. And yet, at the same time, he can address Jews and Gentiles differently. The clearest example is the book of Romans, which through Pastor Dick is preaching right now. In the beginning, Paul speaks specifically to the Jews and concerns of the law. And then later on, he speaks to the Gentiles about what it means to be grafted in. What it means to have the Jews come back and and have some of their customs that, that may no longer be necessary, but are still allowed. So we're all humans made in the image of God, but yet he puts us in unique cultural and historical moments that you aren't going to be able to understand necessarily from the outside. Second objection. Um, We can have buts that rise to cause up in doubt. Um, You know, I I listen to people who who are hurting and and uh, really I want to care. I want to understand. I, I find this myself a little bit. I say, but okay, you're obviously hurting. I'm so sorry for you, but I don't think you got the whole picture. I think you're missing something. And some people talk this way, right? It's it's not just black lives matter, all lives matter. right? Blue lives matter. Most of our police are the good guys. And what about the black-on-black violence and all the the conservative-leading things that I said? You know, 75% of our our black children growing up without a daddy, no wonder there's so much unrest in the cities. And, And haven't we made progress when it comes to racism? We know there's still racist people, but haven't we made real progress? Well, you know what? If, if done properly, some of those conversations, and maybe all of them, are worth having. But not at this moment. Now is the time not to speak wisdom, but to listen. I want to tell you a story from my middle sister, who not only gave me permission, but actively encouraged me to share her story. My middle sister was um, Sharon. She married and was abused by her husband in multiple ways. It was 
systemic and it was ingrained into the marriage. And after several years, they sought counseling, including counseling from the session of their PCA church, a church that is our, our sister denomination. So elders whom I would trust. And when things continued to worsen, she and her husband separated with the goal of being able to sort things out and to be able to hopefully come back together. But when things continued to worsen and there was no resolution, eventually, with the blessing of her PCA session, they were divorced. Now, that's an uncomfortable story to hear even just in that level. You can imagine, though, the response that she might have got from those who were close to her, especially in the conservative church and the homeschooling circles in which we grew up. Some just cut ties with her or did other unhelpful things. But that's not the point of what I'm telling the story right now. There were others who were very well-meaning. They came to her with advice, with buts. They mentioned areas of her sin, of her shortcomings, or things that the session could have done better. And looking back now, several years, my sister says that, you know what? Many of their concerns were legitimate. She says, but at the time, my heart was bleeding. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel love. I felt like trash. I couldn't process. I was having nightmares and panic attacks. And you don't come down and sit with me in my pain and and say just, how are you hurting? No, you come and tell me how I could have done better. You see, that's, that's the wrong time. In the same way, there are black brothers and sisters who are hurting. It's a generational ache. You don't have to understand it. You don't even have to agree with all of what they say. Certainly, I think we can all say we're not justifying the wrong responses in the riots. It's complex, but can you sit down with them? Let me talk about Black Lives Matter. Probably come back to this in a different sermon, but just briefly to show how it's difficult and yet I think possible to listen to people with whom we may not agree. It's a complex situation. You know, a lot of times, maybe if you're white, you bristle at the statement, black lives matter. Say, all lives matter. In fact, I was, I, one of the brothers I talked to on the phone, he says, I don't get it. All lives matter. He feels that way too. But I will tell you, just, just from reading and listening, there are other black Americans who feel hurt and ignored. And when some people say black lives matter, what they're saying is, Black lives matter, too. We count, too. We also are people made in the image of God who are worthy of dignity and honor. And we can all agree to that. Now, it's for a different sermon. I cannot make the fist sign because there are um, organization Black Lives Matter stands for a lot of things that God says is not good. It's part of the complexity. Um, Their vision of a renewed world would do undo God's good creation design. Um, You can go read their website on that. As a Christian who takes God's word as my authority, I can't stand and and make that sign. But you know, 
like the police chief in Camden who marched with the peaceful protests with the peace sign, wishing peace on all. You, I can say Black Lives Matter too. Brother, if, 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 if you're hurting, yes, you are made in the image of God and fully accepted into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ. We just need to sit with people and say, what, you know, what are you saying? What, what does this mean to you? I will say to all of us, but especially white Christians right now, let us affirm our brothers and sisters in pain. And if you have the honor to do so, sit with a person and say, how, how are you feeling? Where did you experience hurt? What was it like for you? And I would say to black brothers and sisters, be sensitive that there are other people, whites, in the rest of America that's hurting too. Our nation is turned upside down. The police are hurting. I was talking with a chaplain yesterday, and she says, I have family members who are black American, and then I have family members who are police officers. And the police officers say, we don't get paid enough to deal with this junk. Right? The whole country is going through pain. Let us not be like the disciples who shut out those who are different from us. Instead, we see another way through the actions of the woman. Remember how Jesus kept her at arm's length, and yet she cries out, save me. And then Jesus continues to be unpredictable here. He says something that would definitely be viewed as offensive today, and it could have been viewed as extremely offensive back then. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, we can't examine his statement in detail today. He's, he is stating a hard truth at a hard time because I think he knows this particular woman can not only take it, but will show the strength and beauty of her faith through it. He, here's the gist of what I think Jesus is saying. Woman, you don't deserve God's grace. Yes, um, you know, there's a special grace that goes to Israel, but, but you, aren't, you don't deserve God's grace. You, you, you can't demand it. He says, in Jesus' time, dogs were not man's best friend. They were more like packs of wolves that roamed the streets. They were viewed as um, feral and unclean. The word Jesus uses for dog here is an indoor dog, which was probably was better, but there still was very little to no affliction. Not like today, where people would sometimes consider dogs their kids or grandkids. It was not like that at all. And food was extremely scarce, and there was no way that you were going to feed a dog from the table. Jesus is saying, you don't deserve God's grace any more than the dogs deserve food from the table. And her response is incredible. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. It's it's remarkable. She doesn't bristle. She's, She's not offended. In fact, she says, yes, that is me. You've you've labeled me right as I am. I'm no one special, Jesus, but I know who you are. You're the son of David. You're the promised Messiah. And if all I get are the crumbs of your grace, that will be more than enough. Here's what we need to learn from this woman. Something that the disciples would not understand until after Jesus ascends the Spirit and gives them visions declaring Gentiles clean. She knows that none of us deserve God's grace. It is true that we are all equal in dignity and value because God created us. 
Right? That's where we want to throw out that division of white-black. That's where it's unhelpful, and that's where it does create, uh, can create victim and hood and division. But do you know what? It is also true that we are equally guilty of rebelling against God's kingship. You need a savior, and your skin color doesn't give you a pass either way. Each of you, I, we need to put down our self-righteous mask and say, yes, Lord, I don't deserve your favor and grace, but I claim Jesus as my master and my savior. And since he died in my place for my self-righteousness and rebellion, even if you just give me the scraps, that will be enough. And that's important that Jesus' blood can overcome our self-righteousness because let me tell you, there's a lot of self-righteousness out there. And the funny thing is, you don't have to be religious to be self-righteous. Plenty of wokeness out there is actually self-righteousness. Because self-righteousness is just saying, I'm grading on a curve, and at least I'm not like that blank. Right? I'm higher than, I'm better than that. And, and when you get woke and mad, I mean, sometimes it might be rightly so. so in, there's definitely injustice there. But, but when you are constantly mad at the other side, then it takes your anger and your eyes off of your own faults and magnifies others and you remove the need for your grace. You don't realize that you too are a sinner standing before God. And that self-righteous anger becomes, especially with co- social media, a cocktail for human misery and pain. But if you see, if we take the woman's path, if we have this humility in the gospel that humbly accepts the hard truths that God says about you, you can listen better. Because you see, you realize no matter my skin color, I'm no one special. But it takes the how dare they out when someone misunderstands you or puts you down or slights you on a post. You can say God has given grace to me. And even if you're hurting and you go to listen to the other people, you're going to have to come humbly to put aside your hurts. The sermon I listened to basically said I was a racist person because I didn't agree with certain things. That hurt. Not only me, but because there were Christians who thought this way and I thought, oh, the church is divided. My heart breaks. And yet the gospel can... Make us humble that we know that God has loved us and we don't deserve it. We can, we can extend them grace and mercy when they don't deserve it. We can build that relationship. And then when the time is right, wisdom dictates. We can say, hey, I'm trying to understand you. Could you, could you try to understand me now? I'll finish with a brief thought. This story gives us a beautiful window into eternity that should fill us with hope and keep us from giving up right now. We have a contrast here between this woman and these indifferent disciples. And yet, both experienced the grace of Jesus and they will live reconciled forever in heaven together. The good news of Jesus promises that all those who are united in Christ will one day live together in heaven with incredible joy and our differences won't divide us then. The diversity will make our experiencing of worshiping God and basking in his glory all the more beautiful 
And that's his plan. That's his design. And because of that, where we're going and how God has made us, we should not give up. And we should and can work in the present to listen and to understand and and reconcile. Because ultimately, we will be united to everyone who's in Christ in heaven. And so may God give us the grace today to not start with buts or advice, but to start by listening and seeing the hurt and to love our brother and sister. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you would heal our land. And during this time, that we would listen not only to those in our tribe with whom we agree can nod our head at every sentence, but also to those who honestly may hurt us the way they speak or irritate or annoy us. And would we remember your grace to us, how Jesus humbled himself. Would you use this as a time of change, not only for our country, but also for our own hearts, that we would learn to listen with love, even when it hurts, because that is how Jesus moved towards us. We thank you for your powerful gospel. We plant and place our hope in the future of the new heavens and the new earth. And we ask that the spirit that anointed Jesus, would you move in our hearts, in our church, in our community, in our country today. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.